Hi there, and welcome to The Desk, a podcast where we delve into the futures of the people who have made The Daily Californian what it is. I'm Carissa, your host for this episode, and this week I spoke with the lovely EDU, currently a senior content designer at FAIR, formerly copywriting and content design at Spotify, Adobe, and Apple. Thrilled to have you here today. Enjoy the show. Hi. Hi. If you could just get started, um, if you would tell us about yourself, where you're from, where home is for you now, um, and when you graduated Berkeley and what you majored in. I'm Ida. I'm from LA, born and raised, and I actually live here now, um, and I'm working from here. I graduated from Berkeley in 2017, and I studied chemical biology and French. I would love if we could just start from the beginning. When did you join the Daily Cal? And what did you do for us? And how how was that experience? Yeah, I joined the Daily Cal. It must have been like the second semester of my freshman year. Um, it was so funny because actually my ex now, uh, sorry, my <laughs> my boyfriend at the time, I was like, how do I describe this person? Yes, my boyfriend at the time, and I were like walking around campus and I saw, well, actually he saw the sign like that was like, oh, you know, open call for opinion columnists. And I was like, oh, don't you write? Like you could apply for that. And I was like, yeah, but like, no, you know? And then um, I was like, yeah, but I don't do that. <laughs> and then he's like, no, but like you like write, like you love writing. Like, why don't you just apply? And I was like, I guess I could, but that sounds like a lot of work. And um, I was so busy, like, with classes and just being, like, a freshman um, at the time. But I was like, okay, sure. Why not? Like, I'll just send in, like, an app. And I think it was to write in a sample opinion column. And so I did. um, And I really, really, really didn't expect anything. Like, it was just kind of like, oh, like, you know, I really only did this because he mentioned it. And then yeah, I ended up getting like a call back and um, turns out that like I got selected to be a columnist for that semester. And even then I was still kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. <laughs> um, but then um, she was like, oh yeah, like it's, we only picked eight people out of like a hundred applicants. And then that was like the first time where I was like, oh, so this was like hard to get, like maybe I should do it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, that's pretty much how I got started at the Daily Cal. It's not the best story. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? No, I love that because it's so real, but I (laughs) would love to know what your first job out of college was and kind of how you got there from chem, bio, and French, which is an extraordinary and unique combo, um, but far different from where you've kind of made it now. So if you could talk a bit about that progression and, um, yeah, what you did right out of college. Yeah, I really honestly and truly never thought I was going to become a writer or anything in writing. Um, I really thought I was going to go into science or business. Um, and so I was very serious about like chem bio in general. Um, like I worked in research labs and tried, you know, to get in the honors program. Like I was really like, oh, this is kind of like what I wanted to Um but I think writing just kind of snuck in along the way. And like my ex mentioned, I have always liked to write. <laughs> so I guess it was a natural progression for me. Um, obviously, the columnist role at the Daily Cal helped a lot. And I think it kickstarted 
this new passion that I didn't realize I had within myself. Um, and I actually began to pursue editorial writing more seriously after that. So even though I was working in labs while I was at school, I actually was spending my summers doing internships um, like back home in LA at music publications or culture publications. And when I went back, my I think junior year was a big turning point because I kind of realized that, oh, I was doing this a lot more seriously than I realized in the past. And I was like, I'm on B side and I was going to be editor in chief the senior year. Um, and on top of that, I had like a lot of my own personal projects. And when I was thinking about like things I was applying to, cause I actually did, um, a program abroad. This is like another thing, some deep memories. Cause I haven't thought about this stuff in a long time. Um, I, in between my junior and senior year of college, I did a program. I don't remember what it was called anymore, but I basically could do an internship abroad in France and, at the time, like I was only getting a French minor uh, just because I was continuing the study from high school. And so it didn't even occur to me that I could get a French degree. And so I was like, oh, that internship would actually give me enough credits to just get a second degree. So I was like, oh, why not? And when they were like, what, <laughs> they were like, what would you want to do for your internship? Like, do you want to do something like in science? And I was like, oh no, like, absolutely not. Like I want to do, um, I want to work at like a culture platform yeah. And do like editorial stuff for them. And so it kind of clicked something in me where I was like, oh, maybe like this is more than I thought it was. Like maybe this is something I actually do want to do. And so my senior year, I would say, is when I got very serious about it and I started applying for internships. Um, like I got one at McSweeney's uh, at the end of my junior year, which was really great, um, and worked on the Believer Mag. And uh, then my senior year in the fall, I worked at East Bay Express and that was like the door. I think it was like, okay, so people have made writing a career and not only that, but like you enjoy it. Like it's, it's obvious. And so by the time that I was graduating, even though I had studied chem for so long, I had all this experience. Um, and French was kind of like just one of those things I picked up along the way, I like as a degree. But yeah, when it came to time to apply to jobs, I was like, I'm just going to go for writing roles. And so that's where I kind of started doing like, okay, staff writing roles, like copy, ed or sorry, not copy, ed copywriting roles um, and marketing stuff. So that was like the three things I was really looking at. Um, and I had a portfolio thanks to the Daily Cal and, you know, my time at B-Side and like I was actually able to apply. And so somehow I applied for this program at Apple um, that was created to kind of infuse their uh, marketing and communications department with more creatives of color. And especially young creatives of color. So it's kind of an accelerator program in a way. And it's called The Orchard. Um, and I applied again on a whim. It was such a similar thing to how I applied for the Daily Cal. Um, like my friend sent it to me. I had actually already like gotten another job offer that I was kind of like, I think I'll just do that. And I was like, oh, like they were like, it doesn't hurt to apply. I was like, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and the website looked like spam. Like it didn't even look like a real website. And I was like, you know, I'll just do it. And I still remember like, one of their questions was like, oh, like if you could 
talk to anybody, you know, in history, who would it be? And I was just like, oh, this is, you know, whatever. So I put Lil Yachty, who like, if you know me at all, like I had no connection to that person. <laughs> and I was just like, yeah, like, you know, I think he did such a good job marketing his brand and like, was like, that's yeah, it. I mean... <laughs> and somehow, <laughs> yeah, somehow they found that compelling enough to where they were like, oh, like second round and third round. And I mean, after the second round, I didn't really have to talk about Lil Yachty yeah. anymore, thank God, because I didn't even I don't know, know anything about, about Lil Yachty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, that ended up being my first gig, and that, like, opened the doors to everything else I've been doing. Um, so it was awesome. exciting. Um, I love the the kind of... <laughs> the, I think that the main point we can take away from right now is have people who will push you to apply to things, even if you don't want to. I guess I'm curious about kind of copywriting to working in content and user experience, that that sort of thing. And um, it would be great if you could talk, you know, more in depth about your, your work copywriting for Adobe and Apple, and then how that kind of transitioned into the next role at Spotify. Yeah, for sure. So back when I started um, as a copywriter, I, I was totally new to that world. Like I didn't know anything about marketing or how agencies were set up. And so how it worked uh, for me is that back at Apple, their creative sector is kind of like an in-house agency. So you get paired with a designer, you have like a core team that you work on, you have like a project manager, um, and depending on like what vertical you're working on, you will have creative directors and people approving your work like that. Or if you work on the more like interactive digital side, you'll have engineers as well and, you know, devs doing that. So I luckily, got to be in this program where we were able to rotate. So you didn't have to pick only one um, vertical. So I got to try some stuff on iPhone, whereas like a lot more branding, like spot writing, like advertising, you know, with a capital A. Um, and then I also got to rotate onto the interactive team. And that's where I really found my groove and wanted to stay because I am not good at coming up with taglines <laughs> or, or like, you know, impressive video things. Um, and that probably is due to my background in journalism, to be honest. I'm just very like, I would love to just tell things as it is. Like if I had one thing I could do, it would just be that. Um, kind of like the way I told my story today. <laughs> but um, yeah, so interactive worked a lot better for me because it was very much like, oh, like, you are working on the website it's a lot of like platform stuff to consider and like i worked on marketing pages but i also worked more on like the retail platform itself so how does it you know interact from one screen to another like how are users seeing this experience and like um is like the copy helping them along in their experience and that way of thinking was just so different for me and i was like wait this is so nice because it activated i think the parts of my brain that mm chem stimulated and writing like from a journalistic perspective also stimulated and so I was able to figure out like oh like I can coalesce all this into this new world but actually at the time so this is like the biggest change probably from when I graduated wow five years ago I'm so old um <laughs> is that 
uh, at the time, UX writing and content design, content strategy, there's three names for what I do, and I don't know why. But um, it, like, wasn't a thing. Like, people had just begun defining it. And so the only reason I knew that it was a career, because I probably would have just stayed at Apple and just done it like that, because really people were hiring for marketing roles with like a capital M, or it was like this nice in between I had found at Apple. And I was like, what's this? I like this, but I don't think I can find it anywhere else. And then my boyfriend, um, who I started dating around the same time, was a product designer. And he told me like, this is actually a field. Like we work with UX writers. And I was like, what is that? Tell me more. Mm. <laughs> and so that's where I first learned what UX writing even was. Um, and it's like, that was kind of in the back of my head from then on that, like, I wanted to get to that eventually. And so I ended up leaving um, Apple after my program ended, honestly, because the commute was just so long. And back then, I lived in Oakland. Um, and was yeah, driving to Cupertino every day. Yeah, so um, no, yeah. no. Yeah, the answer is no. <laughs> and then, uh, so I did apply for a copywriting role at Adobe, but I specifically picked one uh, where I got to work on a platform, so adobe.com. And while I was there, I was lucky enough to meet a mentor on the content strategy team named Sarah, who, a lot of Sarahs in my life, who um, also uh like brought me on for certain projects because their team was really small and lean um and she and andy who like run the whole content strategy team there like had me come on for projects for photoshop for their new touch suite for adobe fresco and like i actually got to work on such cool content and like i don't know just ux writing problems i've never been able to before and so after that i pretty much had like enough in my portfolio to be like oh i can call myself a UX writer and I can really solidly like go and apply for these UX writing jobs. Um, mm -hmm. And that's pretty much how I got that role at Spotify after. Yeah. Cool. The main thing people think of when they think of UX is the visual or the research side of things. So I just personally am interested in hearing you expand a little bit more on what UX writing entails and the, the kind of creative work that is and also how, if at all, your majors inform <laughs> your work today. You mentioned, you know, kind of stimulating a, a chem bio part um, with this work, but I would love to hear more about that. A good description of like UX writing or content design is just like, it's designing, it's product design, but with words. So it's not like you're filling in the blanks of a page kind of like that's a lot more copywriting I think that we typically think about it like that but it's rather like you're thinking holistically about the user experience from the jump and like okay how can the information architecture at this point be different so that it better suits what the user is looking for like how can we group this kind of content how can we present this kind of onboarding uh, material or experience so that it's more digestible like it's very like in tandem and in partnership with visual product design so you're not really like just working with words you're working with concepts and i think that that is what mm -hmm. is hard for people to grasp because it is kind of abstract like it's it's like oh like writing is so much yeah just like the words you know but it it is a lot more than that it's a lot of upstream thinking a lot of strategy like positioning um and a lot of times, for instance, like a designer will come to me like, oh, like I need an error message for this state in this page uh, for this new feature. 
and it'll turn out that the error message like isn't actually what they need that's just like the issue that they have because of how they've designed their content and so we can actually come in and be like oh actually like this problem happens way upstream you can fix this by doing this at this step um and turns out the error message like doesn't need to be written because there's another way to show that in the product so um or prevent it altogether so that's like i think a good example of what ux writing is in general and for me it brings together yeah like i said a lot of those different aspects because i obviously like as a by trade and by craft like i am a writer and i still do a lot of freelancing um in terms of my journalism and especially like in the arts and culture world and so i think like just the craft of it is something i'm still really passionate about i just love making like a beautiful story um of some kind and then the other part is like it is it can be very technical it's not always but it can be like when you're working with engineers and you're trying to understand the problem that you're solving like it can get really really jargony it can get really like constraint based and i think like really that's what science is in a lot of ways like you're given a set of constraints you're given a set of parameters and variables and you have to like make them make sense in some way or and solve the problem and the way that like you are presented a very similar set of constraints um and problem spaces like in UX writing or content design like that is to me the really exciting part because then i get to activate that part of my brain that can solve problems like that whereas like for something that's a little bit more creative like with marketing or with even my journalism like you can massage your way around it i think differently mm-hmm. Really interesting. I, I'm actually also really curious about your freelance work, um, which is so impressive. The question of how to, you know, maintain and upkeep our journalism related creativity, even if it's not necessarily what we're going into. And, you know, freelancing, illustrating, writing on the side are things that all of our staffers are, are really, really keen on. Um, but I would love to hear about your freelancing, how you started, um, projects that you've worked on that have been favorites, and how you kind of manage, you know, a, a day-to-day job, but also, you know, your, your writing practice. Yeah, a lot of it, you know, comes back actually to my internship at East Bay Express. So shout out Sarah Burke uh, for that, because another Sarah in my life is so saying there's so many, um, but really weird. It's really strange. Um, but she was the managing editor at the time. And she actually used to work at the Daily Cal too and was a Berkeley grad. Um, and now she's editor-in-chief of them um, magazine, which is with Condé Nast. Uh, so that's super cool. But Sarah really did help me and pave the way for like me to understand how to freelance. It was really difficult at first. I think that people undersell how difficult it is because it it's so hard to get the right emails to write a compelling pitch. I think I spent two years learning how to pitch, like genuinely, because I, I mean, I could write a pitch, but I didn't know how to write a pitch in the way that an editor needed to see a pitch to commission the story. And like, there's so many things to consider in terms of it being timely, it being like revealing, it being the first to market in a way and like all these things. And I, I had to learn all of those things. Um, as a freelancer and mm-hmm. yeah that was really really difficult but after i kind of got in a groove and again like a lot of it is thanks to sarah because she 
showed me the ropes on a lot of that stuff and went to Vice um, and became an editor there. And so I ended up freelancing for her there. And Mm -hmm. that just opened a ton of doors. I think having like one really great national byline um, makes a world of difference. And after that, I was able to kind of maintain this Mm -hmm. career as like a freelance journalist, which I'm really, really super happy about looking back on it. Um, And I've written some awesome stories like that have stayed true to like where I started in the Bay from like a very community arts perspective. And that also like feels crazy in full circle. Like the most recent story that I'm super proud of is this piece for Teen Vogue I wrote in January or February. Um, And it like talks about gentrification in Chinatowns in LA and New York, but it weaves together all these different aspects of like identity and art and community and class and just these big themes that like, I don't know, yeah, like are really important to me. So things like that, like moments like that, like it feels worth it, all the work that you put in. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, those, those themes that you just mentioned, kind of identity and culture and art and beauty are also reflected in a lot of your early work at the Daily Cal. Um, we, we saw that you had a few poetry pieces published and we were just kind of wondering if poetry is still a part of your writing practice and do you have any poetic inspirations or muses? Poetry is still a thing. I will be the first to say it. I have so much trouble finding inspiration these days. This probably goes back to the balance thing you're talking about. I'm super tired, honestly. I do a lot of like work and the world where I use my brain for words. <laughs> so like, I think before, you know, going all the way back to when I was like in high school, or even in early college, like before writing felt like something I had to share with so many people. Like for me, it was an escape. It was a place I could be totally honest and, yeah, you know, make whatever I wanted and there was no pressure, but definitely as you, share more and more I think the pressure that you feel increases and I think that's completely natural and so I've had to take breaks I've had to try different things you know work with different people like just a bunch of different things to be able to figure out like okay I like this okay that didn't feel right like why didn't that feel right like oh does this feel better like it's really this constant conversation you're having to try to find a way to be true to yourself while still producing work that's consumed by other people and I think that like artists kind of talk about that or like creatives in general talk about that but it's weird because it affects you so much when you're in it you know and you don't even notice it necessarily and so Hmm. I think for me yeah like poetry is that weird relationship I have where it feels very sacred to me it feels extremely special and pure is like the word that comes to mind for lack you know of a better term but I am sometimes these days having trouble accessing that because I think there's so much other stuff to do and so much other like work basically with a capital W to get done. And so, yeah, like I, I want that to be more of my world, but I'm also struggling with like, how do I find the inspiration to make that more of my world? Cause it's not like journalism, you know, where like, okay, I want to write a piece and you don't just sit down and like write a poem all the time. Like it has to flow out of you is my thinking, but with journalism, okay, I want to write a piece. I'll browse the internet, find a trend. I want to like maybe pitch and like, or like, Oh, like this has been bugging me. I could like, you know, get some good sources and pitch something about this. So 
it's just a totally different, I think, like frame of reference. But in terms of inspirations, I really love Ocean Vuong. I don't know if you've read. Yes, you have. <laughs> but it's super good. Um, yeah, On Earth, We're Briefly Gorgeous is like, I just recommended it to somebody else today. I, kind of reawaken some of those feelings that I have. And another person I find really inspiring, um, and I know that like she's not a poet, she's like an essayist, but Gia Tolentino, I really love like her essays too. And I think that they're really beautiful. Um, again, like I think all comes down to like making that great story, you know, like how do you make it so beautiful, but like say something. And I think that's something I've like, that's a balance I've tried to find my whole life. Yeah. Do you have any pitch writing tips for people who are interested in undergoing the same process? <laughs> Best tip I ever got, probably shouldn't give this out for free, but I will because the Daily Cal did so much for me, <laughs> um, is that try to imagine if your pitch could have a headline, like think of the headline for your story. If you can't think of one, probably not a pitch, probably not a story. And I think we have ideas. I think I have a lot of ideas. Everyone has ideas, but is it a story? I think that's the difference. And obviously, like, if you can find something timely to work in as a peg, that's ideal because that is, like I just said, how the industry operates. Um, the other thing is keep it short. Like, I, when I got started, I think I was writing, like, three to five paragraph pitches. And, like, I was like, what am I doing like those are so long um so absolutely not um yeah I would like keep it as short as you can um and obviously like you guys you know the writing basics like start with a hook like build it in and always have sources um always have sources like even if you know I, for me I've pitched a lot of op-eds but like I never pitch an unreported op-ed um, I've been commissioned to write unreported op-eds, but if I'm pitching, it's always reported. Um, if it's a profile, you know, obviously you've got someone you're interviewing, but if it's a feature, have sources you can speak to. If it's an op-ed, try to make it reported. It just makes it a little bit stronger. Um, and if you have really good sources, it makes your pitch really compelling too. So I've gotten stories sold just because I knew this one artists that like very few people had gotten a good interview with you know mm. and they were like oh yeah like we would love to have them like on our platform before anyone else does so yeah that's another big part of it cool well thank you for sharing with us can't believe we're getting this for free but we appreciate you <laughs> wrapping up here i would love if we could circle back to your work capital w um you would just talk us through kind of your day-to-day -day as um you know someone working in content strategy and what you think makes a strong content strategist yeah my day-to-day -day is like really quite boring um you know compared to i think what people think it's like uh but i i sit in a lot of meetings um i meet with it depends on like the model of your company. Cause when I was at Spotify, I was a content designer, but I was embedded in the product design team. Whereas now um, I'm somewhere else, but I, at a startup, the content design team works kind of like as their own hub. And then you get like day to day with the design team, but you interact a lot more with the content team because you're actually in it. So I think it depends on like where you um, work and like what their model is. But for the most part, I'm in a lot of meetings um, with designers. Designers will like walk me through 
new projects that they've gotten, um, whether they have just like the preliminary product doc or like they have like a lo-fi Figma. We'll like talk through some concepts and directions. Um, we'll have like group meetings where you get updated on like what's happening across different orgs. One really cool thing about content design is a lot of times it's a horizontal practice. So um, you'll meet with like your other content designers and learn about like what they're doing on all their different teams and get to find out what everything is in the business. Whereas like if you don't have access to that stuff at big companies, especially it can get pretty siloed and really quickly you can know nothing about what is happening in other departments or orgs. Um, so that's really cool. And I might do some like personal jam sessions, like where if I have like a naming, um, project, like I'll do terminology exercises and like come up with a bunch of iterations. Um, and then like present my rationale, like, you know, when I share out with people to get their feedback, uh, we'll have reviews where like you present your work. Um, I often co-present with a designer given the nature of my work. Um, and we'll talk through like the content and the visuals in like a crit setting, or if it's like just content, then I'm presenting alone and same thing, asking for feedback. And then, yeah, like other than that, you're pretty much just doing the work, like being in Figma a lot, on Slack a lot. It's a lot of collaboration, but I don't mind that. Um, and it is nice to get to work cross-functionally because you have to work with marketing to figure out messaging a lot of the time to like align and make sure you guys are calling the, everything the same thing. Um, I'm doing a lot of work right now, like support related stuff where I have to interface with the help team and um, make sure that like the customer support experience that they're giving is aligned with what we're trying to say in product. Um, and yeah, it, it depends like kind of whatever you work in, but you get to work with a lot of cross-functional partners and learn a lot. And I would say that's probably my day to day. Yeah. If you could tell us about what you've kind of learned from observing other content strategists and, um, you know, having to work cross-functionally with teams, what you think people wanting to go into content strategy should know? I think that people should know that it's a really accessible field. And similar to product design, it's something that you can get really good at, like if you just put in the work. And so I don't know, for me, I didn't have experience in this way of thinking. Like I mentioned by trade, I'm a writer, but a lot of people I work with, they came from all kinds of backgrounds. Like the Sarah that I mentioned at Adobe had a background as an astrology writer. Like she would write horoscopes. You have people obviously who come from journalism, who come from copywriting, but you also have people who like have done totally different things, like be engineers and then go into content design. Um, and I think that's super cool. Like, I love that about this field, um, how different everybody's background is. And like the fact that all we do is just come together and care about how to make things more understandable, more accessible. And like, if you keep putting those pillars, I think at the center of your craft as like a content designer or strategist, like you end up being able to just figure out how to be good at it um, really quickly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for all of your advice, all of your tips and tricks, and just mainly your story. Um, it was special to hear from you. And I appreciate all of the thought and intentionality and honesty that went into sharing it with us. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Desk. 
Sending gratitude to our producers at the Daily Californian Multimedia Department and to our home team, the Design Department. And we'll see you at the next episode.